I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This podcast is produced on Gadigal land. It's called the suicide disease. It's one of the horrible names for CRPS. It's called that for a reason. I didn't have suicidal thoughts, but I did certainly feel like I died. I'll be completely honest, I feel like the Tara Moss that I, I was before is no longer here. I'm just not the same person. You're listening to Short Black with me, Sandra Sully. Good women, great chat. Hi there, Sandra Sully here, and a very warm welcome to the first episode of Series 6 of Short Black. Wow, time has flown. I'm thrilled today to welcome to the podcast the one and only Tara Moss. I've been chasing this woman for some time, but I have to say, finally, I have her. Welcome to Short Black, Tara. It's been too long. Thank you so much, Sandra. This is such a privilege and just such a joy to be able to speak with you today. Thank you. Look, we've known each other on and off for a very long time, but I have to say your journey over the last few years with complex regional pain syndrome has frankly been, well, we know it's been challenging for you. It's been heartbreaking to watch. This painful journey that you've been immersed in has really been going on for the better part of, what, eight years? Eight years it's coming up to, yeah. But a breakthrough. What's happened? I wanted to preface just by saying that there are millions of Australians who experience chronic pain every day. There are lots of different forms of pain. And just to give a bit of context, complex regional pain syndrome, which is the condition that I have, began for me in 2016. So we're coming up to the eight-year anniversary, if you will. But it's considered to be one of the most painful diseases known. And uh, the McGill Pain Scale rates it as more painful than childbirth without anesthesia and more painful than amputation of a digit. And of course, these pain scales, they're helpful only in so much as I want to give some context to what we're talking about when we're talking about chronic pain of this sort. But I also want to say that all pain is valid. If you feel pain, it's real. Your pain is valid too. It doesn't have to be on the McGill pain scale in order to be valid. For those that aren't familiar with the story, You're a well-known and acclaimed model and best-selling author. You've reached extraordinary levels of success and lived internationally and obviously for a long time in Australia. But this was so debilitating. You were essentially restricted to a wheelchair or you had Wolfie a cane. That's right. Right, so here is this glamazon, Mm. highly intelligent, beautiful, accomplished woman who couldn't function. And literally you withdrew, didn't you, into a shell and was just struggling in darkness and agony. That's absolutely true, Sandra. It made me housebound for some time. 
my wheelchair Hira was a bit of a hero for me actually because it allowed me to get back outside and participating more in life. However, mobility is just the most visible part for many people anyway with complex regional pain syndrome. It's extremely common to be using mobility aids and it is debilitating as you've said. But those are the visible things people can see from the outside. The condition is marked by extreme pain, severe pain, and it is likened to burning. So at its worst, it was like I was being burned alive on one side of my body. The body divided itself into sort of a, and this is typical for the condition, it's why it's called regional, so complex regional pain syndrome. It will often start in a limb, not always, but that is the most typical presentation. And then unfortunately for some people, it will spread. And for me, it did spread. So it was like a, a ruler going down the center of my body and my entire right side was on fire. It was like a cold fire as I developed something called cold CRPS. It's slightly less common in CRPS, which is already a rare condition. But for some people, they get swelling, edema. It almost looks like a heat rash and um, sweating. And for other people, there's uh, coldness and atrophy and kind of a constriction. And some people will experience both or it will fluctuate. For me, it tended towards cold CRPS. So I would literally go blue in one half of my body. And it was like being submerged in a, a bucket of ice, burning ice that I couldn't withdraw from. So that's one of the most significant aspects of the condition is that persistent, extreme burning pain. But unfortunately, it also affects other functions in the body. So a lot of people end up with gastroparesis and eventually are unable to eat without feeding tubes. Some people um, are affected in, there's, a, there's sort of a variety of ways that we can be affected. Dizziness, something called presyncope, which is when you're about to pass out all the time, you get the feeling of passing out, and a whole host of symptoms. So I guess it's the visible part is the mobility aid but it's the invisible, which is actually the most debilitating. In fact, it was very challenging. I think the low point for me might've been when we moved my bed into the living room of the family house, just so that I could see people and have some interaction because I couldn't really get out of bed. And if I was in a room, in a bed at the side of the house, I would not see people through the day. I wouldn't be able to visit with them. So we just literally put my bed in the middle of the house into the living room. And that's how I could sort of could see the cooking going on. I could see people coming and going. And that was the closest I had to interaction during that period of being housebound. How do you think you got through it? I would love to be able to impart like a kernel of wisdom that could help people in a similar circumstance. The journey has been very complex for me because, uh, well, it's complex by nature, complex by name, this condition, but also there are layers of healing that need to happen. And for me, there were layers of healing and stages of healing, but I'm now in full remission. It's called remission. There's no cure for CRPS, but you can get into remission. And I was told by many doctors that I would never recover, Sandra. I was told this is the way it will always be. In fact, it will get worse because if you can't move around, if you can't be physically active, obviously you're going to become more disabled and have increasing health complications of not being able to move. You know, just thinking about your cardiovascular health, your, your muscles, all of these things were beginning to atrophy. 
Your limbs need movement to increase blood flow and, and move body fluids, you know, and not the obvious ones. It's the inobvious ones. That's right. We need to move. We need circulation. It's one of the keys to healing and CRPS is movement, but it's incredibly difficult because it is so painful. So a few of the things that worked for me, first of all, never giving up hope. I kept trying different things. I mean, I've tried so many different avenues of healing. One of the ones that worked for me, sadly, all dry therapies, if you will, like physiotherapy, Pilates, and I was going to, you know, I was finding people who are very well qualified in these areas. I was bringing them my medical uh, information. I was trying to kind of co-create with them things that my body could handle. And we kept coming up against obstacles. But although I couldn't weight bear comfortably, I would feel nauseous. I would just about throw up and I would pass out from weight bearing through much of this. I couldn't do that, but I could get in the pool. And this is really interesting to me. I could do water walking. And that was a revelation. Such a simple thing. It's, it's not like aquarobics because I couldn't touch the tiles of the, like any contact. I had very bad allodynia, which is a condition where, as this is typical for CRPS. Like a hypersensitivity of the nerves. Precisely. It's hypersensitivity where even like a little bit of hair falling across your skin, you know, your dog's tail wagging, your, your daughter putting her hand lovingly on your knee can set you into a flare that might last for days. And this is something that people with CRPS unfortunately live with, as well as other conditions like fibromyalgia. There are a variety of conditions that can come with allodynia. But I could get in warm water. I could get in water of a certain temperature and it was soothing to my body and I could be weightless using flotation devices around my waist. And the first time I got into a pool and tried this and had the belts, the flotation belt on, I cried because I had not felt that lack of pressure on my body. Even when I was sitting, it hurt. Like sitting hurt, laying down hurt wherever I was touching anything. So being able to get in the water and have the water feel soothing, it couldn't be too cold. <laughs> so that was tricky. But if it was the right temperature, I had that relief. And then once I was able to do that, I could start moving my limbs. I could start moving in ways I couldn't do dry or couldn't do on land, if you will. And that was one of the ways I kept myself moving. I also took up kayaking because I found that once I was able to water walk, I got a little bit stronger. I could tolerate then getting into a special seat in a kayak. And my upper body was so strong from using my manual wheelchair. I mean, my arms became my legs for years. So I had this incredible strength. I kind of miss, I mean, I don't miss the condition, but I was ripped. For me, it was Linda Hamilton territory there for a while. I had these amazing arms that I'd never had before, and I could use them on the water kayaking. And I felt really free because I couldn't move through the world with any sort of ease unless I was on water, you know, just gliding along the water. So I found things, I guess I found ways to continue moving and engaging with life and helping myself mentally with what that gives you to be out in nature. It's very difficult. So they're the steps towards the turning point. Yeah. But what was critically the turning point in your healing? Oh, there, were, there were a few steps along the way, as I said, and I began, to, I began to find things I could do with movement. I began to find keys to my particular puzzle pieces of what my CRPS was being caused by, and that made me um, do food intolerance testing and find out that, as with many people who have CRPS, 
the gut is involved very often. And if it wasn't at the start, you develop intolerances through having the condition. I had to radically change my diet. I won't tell you all the things I don't eat anymore. It sounds boring to anyone else. But all I can say is like a, a cocktail or a, um, a piece of cake is not ever worth more than the use of my right arm. You know, there's just no comparison for me. Doing the things my body needs now as a person living with CRPS is vitally important and nothing else can compare. So that began to set me on the right path. Meditation set me on the right path. And I was learning about that through the pain program at the Royal Jubilee Hospital. Everybody talks about meditation, but it's actually very important to engage the parasympathetic nervous system. We have our sympathetic and parasympathetic as our primary modes. And if you have CRPS or a chronic pain condition, I would, I would venture, or PTSD, or you're highly stressed, you are stuck in fight or flight, which is, which is the sympathetic nervous system mode. It is for fight or flight. It is being adrenalized. It is not the rest and digest healer mode of the parasympathetic nervous system. And you need to have that mode very strongly engaged to heal. You literally can't heal or sleep properly and rest properly and be rejuvenated if you're not in that parasympathetic mode. So I began doing things like meditation, again, prompted by the Royal Jubilee Hospital. I began getting Reiki and I eventually became a Reiki practitioner myself as a result of the positive changes I could see. And that again was engaging that parasympathetic mode. And I was still using a walker, but I was improving. I was out of the house. And finally, I was blessed enough to be able to go to the Spiro Clinic in Arkansas in the USA. And a lot of people, if they're online and they have CRPS, they will have heard of this clinic. And I knew about it for three years before we could get there because it, none of it is covered by insurance. You have to save. A lot of people fundraise. Um, we saved for years. And finally, we went down in a caravan, the whole family, with our pets and everyone, and lived in Arkansas near this medical clinic for three months. And I did, my guesstimate is 165 hours of dedicated treatment in their program, which is aimed at people with CRPS. And they got me into remission. So I'd had those improvements, that healing had begun. But I finally got into remission. My allodynia was gone by week three. By week four, I didn't need to sit on special seating. I had special seats. I mean, anywhere I went, Sandra, I was like, either with my wheelchair that had a special seat on it, you know, it's, it's like a thousand dollar seat. It's disability equipment is so expensive. Or I would have this handheld seat with my cane because I couldn't sit on a normal seat. And that was gone. I could sit on a park bench. I could sit in, a, I could go into a cafe and not have to worry about seating for the first time in many, many many years, I could walk with my daughter comfortably. And the joy of that was extraordinary. And after nine and a half weeks in the program, I graduated in full remission. And now that's been almost as, as we're talking, it's a couple of months. So it's a really new, it's, it's new for me. I'm like a toddler, I'm like toddler level enthusiastic about walking <laughs> about everything I can do. I can't imagine, you know, eight years of torture and, and wrenching pain to be free of that mm. would, is not just liberating, you know, at a perfunctory level. It's soulfully enriching and, like you say, you're toddler-level enthusiastic. But if you had to describe the treatment, is it like a platelet therapy? I mean, what is it exactly? Well, the, the key with complex regional pain syndrome 
and I think probably most chronic conditions, is that there is no one single modality or treatment that is going to get you into remission. It's going to take multiple modalities and multiple approaches because it is layered. So they do neuromuscular re-education. They use the ARP wave machine for that. And that was by far the most painful and challenging therapy. It is for pretty much all of the patients there. And I also just want to say how extraordinary it is when you have a rare condition like CRPS to walk into a waiting room and see like 40 other people with the same condition. The sense of camaraderie and like a family that you develop with the people going through this, you know, you're living in each other's pockets really for months. But neuromuscular re-education, I, I had some videos that I put up of that process and that uh, you can see on my Instagram. It was really difficult. It was sometimes people talk about, you know, oh, it's like you climbed your own Everest, you climbed the mountain. Sandra, it was like not even going over the mountain. I had to go through it. It was the most challenging, difficult thing, but it really is effective. They did non-invasive neuromodulation. They did photobiomodulation, which is done with lasers. They did lymphatic treatments. There's vagus nerve work. There's a whole variety. And each day you have a set of treatments, depending on which stage you're at in your healing or which stage of the condition you're experiencing. They, they put you through a variety of treatments and that is, it's like a full, it's a full-time job. You're basically nine to five getting treatments. So what's the plan from here? What's the treatment plan? Do you need to go back to Arkansas every few months or you're, you're free for six months? How does it work? They like to do a checkup about six months later for many people or a year later. I'm going to see if we can, we can do that again, if we can afford it, if we can, if we can do this. I put my health, you know, obviously pretty high on the priority list. So we'll see if I end up back there or if I don't need that. The thing with having CRPS in remission is it's, I get warning signs now, now that my, now that I'm basically pain free. If I don't get enough sleep, if I'm eating the wrong thing, if I'm overly stressed, my arm begins to burn and I notice it and I go, there's my, you know, canary in the coal mine, so to speak. There's my early warning sign. And I just immediately respect and honor that boundary and, and go, okay, my body's not comfortable with something right now. I'm going to just pull it back, get a little extra self-care and time to myself to help engage that parasympathetic mode again and, and nurture that healing process. Because I have to accept this is where my body's at. And I know now more than ever that you cannot, you cannot trade your health to try to even help others. You have to help yourself first so that you can then be a healing force in the world. You can look after your kids. You can help your family. If your health falls apart and it happens really to all of us at some point, it's really a time to honor your body and recognize that there's something more that it needs that it's not getting. Unfortunately for me, it was an eight-year process to find out what that was and, and what needed changing. But I feel very blessed that now I'm experiencing the miracle of, of remission because it's a totally w different world to me, Sandra, than it was a year ago, even, even six months ago. Yeah, I don't know if any of us thought, you know, you were going to see a light at the end of the tunnel yeah. and that was just so harrowing to watch. Yeah. But what was also difficult was trying to understand what it was you were going through. Did you tire at some point of trying to explain it to people? It's, my friends understood because they were near me, but they were still horrified, you know, if they hadn't seen me in months. There was a number of years where it just got 
increasingly worse and worse and worse. I hadn't figured out, and the doctors had not figured out. Doctors still often with CRPS, they just don't know what to do for people. I mean, and they will often tell you that. Just figuring out the keys was an incredibly difficult, long process and is for pretty much everyone I met at the Spiro Clinic. Some of them had multiple spinal cord stimulators that had been implanted into their spines. They'd had multiple ketamine infusions. I certainly had many of those. They had tried all kinds of pharmaceutical drugs. They'd seen many experts and just hadn't found the key. So even the doctors who are experts can't really tell you what it is. You can only give them as much information as you can, refer people to websites with information on the disease and just say, look, sometimes I'm just going to tell you I'm in flare. I can't do the things I want to do, but if you want to visit me, you know where to find me. I'll be in bed at home and I'll be, you know, not quite my full self. And I had to get used to telling my family that too and say, you know, saying to my daughter, I'm sorry, I'm having a pain flare. Just so you all know, I'm going to be very quiet for a while. And it's not that I don't care and I don't love you or I don't want to do the thing we had planned. I just have to lay down and be really still and quiet. So I guess I didn't have to keep explaining because those people who were close to me understood. The people, I guess, outside of that inner circle, they couldn't have ever understood. And I get that, you know, I think often people don't know what to do. So with social media, did you feel that there was pressure on you to take people on the journey or was it easier to disappear and deal with it within your own bubble with your family and friends and those closest to you? Initially, I did the latter. I I went into a bubble. Specifically, before diagnosis, there was this long period where I just did not know what was going on. I felt betrayed by my body that was my body was trying to do the right things and trying to tell me what I needed but I did not understand I didn't have a diagnosis I couldn't explain it and it was incredibly isolating and then after I started to understand what I had and started to get diagnosis started to get treatments I decided that that really isolating period where I was at home I couldn't explain things I was confused But actually, the disability community online, the chronic pain community, and then the CRPS community, they were supports for me. They helped me to understand what things I could try, what tools I could try, and to show me that I wasn't alone. And I thought, you know, this is maybe something I can also do. And I began to be open about the disability that I had and uh, document the journey to an extent. You can't really document it fully. I mean, most. The most horrible things, you just, you don't even have energy to record it. It's not necessarily anything people need to see. But I began documenting parts of what I was going through and just sharing and being open and showing solidarity in that way. And that was helpful for me because I didn't feel so alone. And it allowed me to meet other people going through similar things. And I just, I have like so many people who contact me every week who have CRPS have followed my journey for years and are so buoyed by the just the fact that it, you can have remission because they've seen it happen with me. And I just want to stress that CRPS is not a hopeless condition. It can be treated. Patients deserve to be treated and, and they can get into remission and get their, I'm going to say get their lives back. Everybody's living their life, but you can get that engagement with life back even after really isolating pain. And just knowing that's possible, holding on to that hope is, I think, really important. 
It is really important, but it's equally as important to say it when you've come out the other side. I want to take you back, though, to those more darker moments and if you're comfortable being honest with us about how difficult it did get. It was extreme, Sandra. I, I will say it was extreme. I mean, I, I went through very long periods where I just felt completely disconnected from my body. From, I mean, it was such a painful body to be in that I felt like I just couldn't even keep going. I thankfully did. It's called the suicide disease. It's one of the horrible uh, names for CRPS. It's called that for a reason. I didn't have suicidal thoughts, but I did certainly feel like I died. I mean, I'll, I'll be completely honest. I feel like the Tara Moss that I, I was before is no longer here. She was great. I loved her. She was fantastic, but she's not me. This experience has been transformative in a very painful way. It's been a kind of painful initiation of sorts. Coming through the other side of it, I just am not the same person. I'm just not. And, and um, that darkness is really tough because, you know, you end up, for many people, and, and myself included, you lose friendships, you lose employment, you can't function in, in, in society in the usual ways. You become very isolated and you just don't know, is, is this ever going to change? Can I come through the other side of it? Can I experience a minute without pain again in my life? CRPS is, is marked by constant pain and the remission rates are very low. What's happened with me is, is like literally against the odds. And so that darkness was very real. And I wonder the extra strain of being a mother and a wife through that. When you're really enveloped in chronic pain, it's very hard to have to carry the weight of expectations of you know, the other parts of oneself. So the toll that it must have taken on your family unit would have been profound as well. It really was. And I, I feel, I mean, I did lose... A lot. A lot. I, I guess you could almost say I lost everything, but I didn't because I didn't lose my family. And I feel so grateful for that, that we've made it through. But it, it has been heartbreaking for me throughout this that my daughter was only five when I was injured. And by the time I went into remission, you know, she has known me sick more than she has ever known me to be well. I would just never wish that on anyone. It has meant that she's an incredibly compassionate young woman, and that makes me very proud. I mean, her compassion that she showed me and other patients at the Spiro Clinic was just extraordinary, and it was really like the mark of someone who has been around people who are not well, who understands that and doesn't run away from it, isn't, isn't afraid of it, just recognizes that it's a normal part of life, that sometimes people get sick and need support. So she's an incredibly supportive young person. But it was really hard for a long time. For example, I used to love hiking, getting out into nature. You lived in the Blue Mountains for a long time. That was why. I love the Blue Mountains and those hiking trails there. And having that part of my life ripped away was incredibly challenging. And trying to find a way to get even just outside, let alone into nature, was very challenging for a great number of years. And, and the the difficult thing that I think most people don't recognize until something like this happens to them or a loved one is that when it comes to chronic illness or CRPS or much of chronic pain as well, 
you don't find like, oh, I've, I've got sick. Well, they'll just go make me well now. It is just not that simple. It's, it's not a matter of putting a bandage on and healing and going on your way. It is complex, difficult, and often there are no answers. And that was really challenging to face because it shook my belief in, I guess, the world that we live in and what we have available for people as support. Yeah, those foundations, when they're rocked, make everything unstable, don't they? And look, I look back at your career, you know, you've written 14 best-selling books published in 19 countries and 13 languages. But through this experience, you've also become a fierce advocate for the disabled and, and really pain management. And I'm wondering, is there a book in it for you as well? And if there is, what will it be about? Will it be about your journey or what people need to understand about those who live with chronic pain, those who are disabled and all the misunderstandings that envelop that world? That's a great question, Sandra. I I wrote a memoir 10 years ago called The Fictional Woman. And what's so funny now is I just think, wow, what's happened in the last 10 years? You know, it's it's so different than the first 40. I recently turned 50 and I, I do have a lot of stories in me. If I can find a way to make it useful for others, I will absolutely tell those stories and try to reach people with those stories. At the moment, I'm still in the, like I said, that toddler-like enthusiasm for just the everyday. I'm still adjusting to the fact that I can do things. Yeah, I bet. What's giving you the most joy at the moment? Well, recently I went to Butchart Gardens, which is this beautiful set of gardens some of your listeners might know of in Victoria here where I grew up. I went there many times and many times in my wheelchair and with my walker, with my family. And there's a particular spot called the Mound, which is a limestone outcrop. And from up there, you have this incredible view. But the only way to go up is stairs. And so I used to stop at the bottom and say, go on up, go on up. And they're like, are you sure? I'm like, go, 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 go. And I would take pictures from, from down below of them at the top waving and stuff like that. And the other day we went back. It was the first time since remission that we went there. And I ran up the stairs and it didn't hurt and I could do it. And I was like, I made it to the top. I'd never been to the top. Just the joy of that, this so, it was so simple. Tourists go up and down that every day, and this is just a local thing in my town. And for me, it meant so much just to go, wow, there really, there really is you know, light at the end, the sunlight coming down, the view of all those beautiful flowers. It was a really moving moment for me. Yeah, it's really surreal to me still. I'm doing things. The other, the other day, my husband was in the yard and I hadn't been able to go into the yard, like just those simple things. And he was doing something and he called my name and I ran out to him. And I was like, look at me running across the yard. I mean, it's so simple, but it's just the joy, the joy of that. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. 
Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm curious, having a, a background in phys ed and recreation and health, how did you keep your quadriceps strength? How did you keep your strength in your legs so that you could run up after having such a debilitating period for so long? I could not have done it before the neuromuscular re-education sessions at the Spiro Clinic. It was really intense. They do very, I want to say aggressive neuromuscular re-education because it's every day for an hour. They strap electrodes and put electricity through your muscles. It's the same sort of thing you would do if you were unable to, say, say you were trying to recover in hospital. They might uh, use like a TENS machine and you've got the muscles like flexing. They do that, but you're also doing exercises. And I started out like not even really being able to tolerate the electrodes. By the end, the electrodes are being turned up and I was doing squats and like box jumps and things like that. I mean, it, it fast forwards physiotherapy in a way that I, I had no idea was physically possible. But prior to that, my dedication to the, the water gym, as I called it, the pool, was about keeping what muscle I could have. I was experiencing atrophy, particularly in the right side. Uh, my left was disproportionate because I would lean on it. It was compensating, but I still got quite skinny legs. I still have quite skinny legs. I suspect you always have, Tara. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's, they've been slim, but there's been times. I mean, I cycled for charity doing the, um, was it the great Victorian bike ride, you know, my legs were like unrecognizably different then. But being in the pool meant that I could keep up a level of cardiovascular strength and a level of muscle tone, which was getting worse every year. But I was slowing that process of atrophy by keeping active in the way my body would permit me to. And I can't stress enough how important it is to keep trying to find a way around. Okay, I can't do this anymore. What can I do? And just keep searching for ways. Because having that base meant that I could walk in the door of the spirit clinic with my walker at that stage. I'd built up to being able to be upright again. And by the time I left, I didn't need a mobility aid at all. As challenging as it's all been and confronting, I don't think any of us really know how we're going to go, whether we'll be tough enough or strong enough or whether we'll just be emotional messes through the journey. What have you discovered about yourself through this incredibly challenging Eight years. I have been all of the above. That's what I've discovered. I, I have been a mess. I've been grieving. I have been strong and I have been resilient too. And all of that is a normal part of being human. No one can go through those losses without needing to grieve them. I grieved the life that I had. As you said, very glamorous and so on, you know. It seems like a different lifetime, and that's okay. I can cherish those things and know that that's, it's different for me now. It's a different kind of blessing now. But you can be a mess. You can know all of those emotions are normal, and that's okay. No one can go through something like this without experiencing grief, without experiencing, well, you're experiencing pain, but it comes with mental and emotional pain as well. And that doesn't mean that's the way it always has to stay. You can move through it. And there can be uh, healing. And that healing can be mind, body, and spirit. And when you come out the other side, you will be that much more resilient than you could have ever imagined. And that's, that's the beauty of survival, I guess. If you can survive it, it really does make you stronger. 
Yeah, and when I think about your journey, you know, you're no stranger to misfortune or tragedy, that premature passing of your mother at a very young age, traumatic sexual assault when you were just 21, and now you have a beautiful daughter and happily living in Canada. But then to be confronted with this eight years, it's hard to believe someone can take much more. I'm thrilled to see, and that's why I was thrilled that you agreed to talk to us first about coming out the other side. But gosh, you've been through a lot. Yeah, I have. I have and I recognise that. And I also feel, in my case, I do feel like this was a kind of initiation that there was some purpose to the pain in the end. If there wasn't to begin with, you had to make it so, right? You have to try to find a silver lining, find the gift in the pain. And um, that's not always easy to do. Mm. There was Most of the time it was very hard to find, like, what... What is it about this that can possibly be a gift? But in the end, I feel that I feel that I'm just so blessed to have the family that I have, to have the strength in our family unit. We're coming up to 14 years married now, and we are stronger than ever. We're stronger than we were at the start of this experience. And that's extraordinary and and kind of against the odds as well, if you will. I feel like it has been, I mean, we have lost so much, but we're rebuilding our lives and that is in a new phase and will be better in some other way. So I continue to remain positive and to try to look for the gift in the difficulty. It has also made me aware that I was called to do grief work with local families. So I've become a life celebrant and funeral officiant for local grieving families. I'm going to be training as a death doula and I've begun to do work as a Reiki practitioner And this is all in addition to continuing to write novels and do that work. And I feel that this new side would not have been possible without what I've been through, that I I understand grief perhaps better than some people do. And obviously I was introduced to that at that young age when my mother passed and I was just a child. But I feel now that I'm ready to, to try to step into that role to help others with their grief. And I've been doing that work for two years now. I don't feel I would have done that work if it wasn't for this. They often say that much is sent to those who can actually handle it. Yeah. Would you agree with that now? Perhaps not six months ago? Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, perhaps. And You know, I stepped into some of that work before I was in remission, but when I was well enough, I was beginning to heal. And I feel that work helped my healing as well. You know, it helped me to be able to become the better version of me. You've become an advocate for the disabled. What's perception you'd like to change? And what generally needs to be understood that's misunderstood? Well, there's so many myths around disability and a lot of othering. And the one thing that I will say straight up is that we are all either disabled or, or pre-disabled. We, people become disabled as they get older. Not everyone has to identify with the term disabled, but when we're speaking about people who are elders, they very often have physical disabilities. And that is a normal part of, of living and aging and injury and illness and the fact that we are human beings in human bodies and we can get injured or or have experiences of disease. So just, I guess, normalizing and recognizing that this is not a moral thing. This is a reality of being human. 
that people with disability have as much value as people who don't and that we're all going to be disabled at some point if we live long enough, I think is a really good thing to just hold in our minds. Sage advice, Tara, because it flicks the switch, doesn't it? It flips the whole paradigm about just reminding everyone we're a misstep away or a decade or a chapter from something we will all share. That's right. And um, this is why I've been, been such a fierce advocate of accessibility, because we will all require different accessibility as we age or as we experience disability or even as we experience an injury and have a cast or have a family and have a pram. We do need to make the world more accessible for other humans in our, in our community. So I think that it should, it is a big and central disability community issue, but it should be for the whole community to do and for the whole community to consider. And if we build things that are more accessible from the ground up, they don't need to be retrofitted and fixed later. And with all of these, you know, it was very difficult for me to be using my wheelchair when I left the house, not because my wheelchair wasn't amazing. I loved what it gave me, the freedom machine that it was for me at that time. But I was left out of a great number of experiences, locations, and adventures I could have had if the world was more accessible. It was very common for me to be out with my, my daughter, for example, and I'm using my wheelchair and there's a, you know, an inaccessible shop. I can't get over that curb. I can't get in up those two steps. And I'd have to give her my credit card and say, can, can you go in and buy that for me? And come back out and, and it would be raining outside and I'm there with my poncho in my wheelchair and I cannot get in to those simple places that are part of the everyday world of non-disabled people or pre-disabled people I'll say and I think that we can improve that. Yeah I do a lot of work with spinal cord injuries Tara and people really don't understand how challenging life is for those who are confined to a wheelchair or just don't have the mobility that the rest of us do so it is really difficult. I guess Canada is home now. Do you miss Australia? And if so, what about it do you miss? I miss and love Australia. I have family in Australia. I have friends in Australia. I'm going to be doing the Pain Futures Summit in Australia on February 22nd, which I'm so excited to go and do in person. It will be my return to the stage, if you will, in Australia, being able to actually speak directly to people I do talks here in North America and obviously do a lot of things virtually, but it's different to be able to be there in person. And so I really look forward to that return. And I just, I love my friends, some of my strongest friends through all of this, uh, people who have literally pushed me uphill in wheelchairs have been all my Australian friends. They're so thrilled to see where I'm at now, and I cannot wait to connect with them and give them a huge hug and say, thank you for sticking with me. Thank you for your belief and, and care and support during my darkest times. Those are friendships that can never be replaced. No, I appreciate that. You know, Tara, I just wanted to thank you for being so open through this journey. I know it's been really difficult and confronting and dark. I only want to say sincere thanks for sharing some of the really tough times in the last eight years with us today. Would it be fair to say you believe in a combination of traditional and holistic therapies? For me personally, I'm passionate about that mix and finding the right recipe as an individual is the best thing that you can do for yourself. And 
I feel like that's what you have done for yourself. Yeah, thank you. I think that's really accurate. And um, I stand by that. There was a recent pain action program here in Canada that was put out by the government. I'm the Canadian pain champion for the Canadian Pain Society, as well as for Pain Australia. And one of the things I highlight in there is needing to integrate further with other uh, complementary practices in holistic care and to make that more accessible to people, to patients, uh, more affordable and accessible by supporting that care as well. Because I believe that we have all of these wonderful ways to help people and to help people to heal and that we are multi-layered beings and we, we simply need different types of support and the fact that there's now... I guess in this, you know, in these days, we're starting to see that, starting to recognize this multidisciplinary, multi-modality approach is the key for so many people. I feel incredibly grateful that change is happening, and I agree 100% with your sentiments, Sandra. May the healing and good health continue, Tara. We can't wait to see you back here in Australia. Congratulations for coming out the other side, and let's just hope that uh, it's onwards and upwards from here. And thank you again for spending some time with us here at Short Black and, and sharing your tremendous news. I'm so profoundly happy for you. It makes me a little bit emotional because I can't imagine what you've been through. But um, to know that you've taken such important steps to come out that other side and the journey you must have been on for yourself and your family, what you've taught your daughter about resilience and courage it's really, really important. So I'm just thrilled for you. Thank you so much, Sandra. It means so much that support and um, the ability to, to just the privilege of being able to chat with you and talk about this means a lot. So thank you so much. You have been listening to Short Black, a Network 10 podcast. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.